So what motivates us? That is the question of the hour. Um, special welcome to those joining us at Crossroads and at uh, Highland Park upstairs at the 01. So when I was a college student, uh, I ended up in a conversation with a fraternity brother uh, about the gospel. And uh, I sort of laid out the gospel for him, and he said two things. He listened pretty politely, and then he said two things in the end. He says, one, I'm not buying it. Uh, most people, by the way, didn't at that time. Uh, so we sort of, there's a group of us that were Christ followers in the fraternity, and we uh, prayed for all the guys, and we tried to share with everybody who was in the house. There were 70 guys in the house, and of course it rotated every year. And uh, didn't see a whole lot of traction. But 30-some years later, to go back to the reunion is sort of like going to a Bible study. Everybody has come to faith. It's quite remarkable. So just, you know, sometimes our timing isn't God's timing. But I shared with him, and he said, yeah, no, I'm not interested. He said something else. He said, you know what? He goes, we're not that different, actually. Um, I'm living for myself. You're living for yourself. The only difference is I have admitted it, and you haven't. And uh, I briefly pushed back on that and said, no, no, I'm not living for myself. And then I said, well, yeah, no, I guess I am. Uh, But I'm not proud of that. I think being selfish is part of the problem. I think I've got problems. We've all got problems. There's this sin. This is my, this is my uh, argument, right? We're broken. We need, we need a rescuer. And the real issue here is Jesus. And he said, yeah, no, I'm not buying it. So, um, He transferred not long after that. I don't think because I chased him away. He just transferred not long after that. I didn't hear from him for uh, about 30 years. And then somebody sent me an article about five years ago. And they said, hey, have you been following? And they mentioned this guy. I said, no. And they go, well, read this article. So there's a, there he is, a big picture of him on the cover of this glossy magazine. And he has tens of millions of dollars. He has three jets, a 100-foot yacht, a 30,000-foot house. His garage has 300 cars in it, right? I mean, it's just extravagant. And in the interview, so I read the article about him, and in the interview he says, look, uh, I'm living for myself, and I've admitted it. Most people will not step up and admit that this is what they want. And I thought, okay, well, I've heard that before. Uh, so he hasn't changed. And um, But two issues that make this story relevant. Number one, uh, about a year after that, I was sent another article, and apparently the FBI had gone in and raided his business, and, uh, and a couple years ago, he was sentenced to 50 years uh, in a federal penitentiary for a $250 million Ponzi scheme, so if you lost money in that uh, Indianapolis-based Ponzi scheme, I'm sorry, I should have seen it coming 30 years ago, but I didn't. Uh, Secondly, I hold on to that story because since that time when he called me out and said, you're living for yourself, you just won't admit it, I have wrestled with my motivation. I have been more aware of my motivation. I've tried to ask, why do I do the things that I do? And uh, I find myself, as I think about those questions, fairly uh, conflicted. What should my motivation be? Uh, fear, a desire to be blessed by God. Uh, how, do I, how do I process the fact that, that I am selfish and that my desire to not be selfish is often selfish? Right? So, I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this can be somewhat paralyzing. So, 
A couple years ago, we reframed things, um, and I hope you've picked up on this. We said, look, we want to talk about what you need to do to move forward in your life uh, following Christ. And we said, love God, serve others, reach one. All right, so love God, that, that's first, that drives everything else. Serve others, go to the end of the line, think of others more important than yourself, serve others, and reach out with the gospel of Christ be praying for one friend, neighbor, colleague, whatever, and looking for opportunities to invite them down that path. Love God, serve others, reach one. So the question becomes, what fuels that? <laughs> like, why would, why would we do that? What's the motivation to head down that path? Again, is it, is it, is it a desire to be blessed by God? Is it a simple understanding that this is what we're commanded to do and we ought to do the right thing because it's the right thing? Because if that's the issue, right, we just had to do the right thing because we're commanded to do the right thing, I think it's worth noting that that doesn't seem to work all that often. So what is our motivation? Have you thought about your motivation? Do you know what it is? Once you start paying attention you'll see that there is a lot of talk about motivation. Businesses, uh, business literature is filled with articles about how to motivate your staff. And uh, psychologists are always writing about Maslow's theory or McClellan's theory or these very hierarchy of needs and how we process it. Therapists are writing articles or you can go see them to figure out how to motivate your kids to clean up or do their homework, right? I mean, Football coaches go on the, the speaking circuit to talk to corporate audiences about how to go out and win. Uh, I mean, it just, we hire trainers to motivate us to work out and lose weight. I mean, it's just, once you start to look at it, there's a whole lot of discussion about how we are motivated to do certain things or to stop doing other things. This is a big topic. And it's actually also a big topic in Scripture. And we're going to look at it because uh, I think Paul reveals a little bit of his thinking about motivation in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, when he talks about why he's doing what he's doing. So let me just back up and get a running start at this. This is week three of this letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches in northern Turkey that he and Barnabas had planted on their first missionary trip. So they'd gone in, preached the gospel, some people had come to faith, they'd started a church, discipled people, turned it over to the leaders they appointed and moved on. And not long after they moved on, uh, another group blows into town and they are trying to change the message. And Paul gets wind uh, of this group and what's going on. And uh, so he writes a letter to the Galatians trying to stop what's happening. And we can tell what this group has been saying to the Galatians by just reading between the lines of what Paul wrote to them. So it's pretty obvious that this group said, first of all, that Paul was not a capital A first class apostle. He was sort of second tier. He wasn't one of the guys from Jerusalem. He wasn't in at the beginning. He didn't have the status of Peter, James, and John. He was sort of second rate. And so they didn't really have to listen to him. Secondly, they're saying that, that he had the message off a bit. That it's not that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. 
we have to do certain things. And what they argued is there's circumcision, there's diet issues, there's certain holy days we got to keep. There's a, there's a religious code that the Gentiles were expected to adopt. And then the third thing that they say is that um, the reason Paul hadn't said everything when he was with them is because he was a little bit uh, weak. He was a little bit uh, too needy. Uh, they were sort of, it was a codependent relationship and, and he wanted to be liked and so he didn't want to say hard things to them. So he made it as easy as possible, but he left some important things out. So Paul writes this letter and as we've already pointed out, he comes out swinging. He's furious with the Galatians. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, we haven't gotten there yet, but in Galatians 3, the J.B. Phillips translation uh, has Paul saying, Oh, you idiots in Galatia, right? I mean, so he's frustrated that they are being led astray. So the first thing that he says, and we saw some of this in chapter one, we'll see a lot more of it in chapter two, is he says, look, I am a capital A first class apostle. I was not called by man. I was called by, by Christ himself. I am qualified. I am more qualified than anybody you've ever met. I can tell you the way it goes. I've got a hotline to God you got to listen to me. Number two, he says, uh, I can't believe you would trade in the essence of the Christian faith, which is faith equals salvation plus works. I can't believe you would trade that for faith plus works equals salvation. They're telling you it's just a little change. I'm telling you it's a complete game changer. It completely busts up everything. It's you are now going to a different gospel that is no gospel at all. It's, it, you're going in reverse. It's bad. It's wrong. Uh, and, and so you, you've got to understand, yes, works matter, but effort is important, but we don't earn anything. It's not faith in Christ plus religious works equals salvation. It's faith in Christ equals salvation plus a changed life that motivates and leads us to do good things to become more like Christ. So that's the second thing he says. And then the third thing that he says, which is where we're at today, is uh, he sort of asks, and he asks in a little bit of a, of a snarky way. You've you got to read between the lines here. But he, he says uh, in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So you can almost hear Paul saying, So you think, seriously, that I cared what you thought about me? Do you think that I was going to edit my assignment from God so that you would smile and be happy? I mean, you think that's who I am? That's not who I am. You think I'm going to try and please you and keep you happy or do what God has told me to do? Clearly, Paul is aware of his assignment. He's aware of his motivation. And I would suggest that it's important for us to be uh, aware of our motivation as well. And that we stop and ask, why do I do the things that I do? Why should I do the things that I do? What should motivate me? What should compel me? What should lead me forward? Uh, I think that this is a, um, it's an important topic. Again, we're taking it on because of, of uh, Paul's comments here. But I think it's, a, it's important to think about motivation in part. I mean, let's just recognize the opposite of being motivated is being depressed, right? Motivation, nobody wants to be depressed. Motivation is important in that sense. Motivation is also important based on all the things that Jesus tells us 
in the Sermon on the Mount and other places. But in the Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of Christ's interpretation of the Ten Commandments, sort of his commentary on that, he makes it clear that simply doing the right thing is not the ultimate objective. Our motivations, our thinking behind what we're doing also matters. And uh, in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 9, he, or verse 1, he says, Be careful about um, practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Right? So be careful about your motivation for doing the things that I'm calling you to do. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we also will, will hear that doing the right thing for the wrong reason could, could lead us in the end, as we stand before God, to have uh, our life work be reduced to nothing, right? In the, in, the, in the test of fire, it all proves to be wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, we have not been motivated. What looks like great effect is, in fact, not great effect. So um, I think that we need to, uh, I think we, we need to be aware of our motivation, especially because it's, all, it's complicated, right? We seldom do something for only one reason. It's layered, it's nuanced, and often we may not even be aware of all the things that are driving us. And we're, we often move too quickly. We're not reflecting, we're not thinking, we're not, you know, we're, we're not... We're not engaged in a life that allows us to sort of unpack some of what's going on in our heart. And so we may be unaware of our motivations. So, uh, I believe there are four big categories of motivations from Scripture. Uh, I suspect that at least one or two of them will surprise you. And uh, so, uh, I, want, I want to say, according to the Bible, there are four things that ought to lead us to do what we should do. The first is fear. Fear of God, for starters. Realize that's not a politically correct statement to make today. We're supposed to be enlightened. We're supposed to be, God is loving. God is for us. Yes, he is, absolutely. But uh, there's a, a fair bit in Scripture that suggests that we should be fearful of God. Not scared of God. I don't want to go there. Uh, God loves us. God is for us. God will never leave us or forsake us, right? Not scared of God, but not simply respectful of God. So some people say, well, fear means respect. I don't think respect has got enough gravitas to it. So the, the, the book of Proverbs has an ongoing refrain. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, don't fear him who's able to destroy your body but unable to destroy your soul. Instead, fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That would be God. If you've not read Matthew 25 lately, I sort of feel like uh, that whole, the, the, the judgment, the separation of the sheep and the goats, uh, and the people saying, Lord, when did we not, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or tired and not care for you? Uh, I, I mean, it seems to me like, that passage is designed to instill some fear in us to go out and do these. So there's a, there is a, a fear of God that I think should compel us. Uh, additionally, we should fear the effects of sin. We should fear the, the effects of disobedience. 
So it's important to understand God created a world that grows out of his character and the things that he's told us not to do are not arbitrary, right? They, they violate the way he has set the world up to work. And so when we do certain things, lie, steal, adultery, these things are likely going to break us. We don't break the laws as much as we put ourselves in a position to be broken by the consequences of our disobedience. And so uh, sin has a way of, of maturing. We, we can absolutely be forgiven by God for our sin, but we often still face the consequences of our sin. And the consequences can grow, it can harden our heart. There's, it, it, we should be fearful of the cumulative effects of sin because it pulls us down. Third, uh, a third thing that we should fear is a wasted life. So if you read the parables, all, all of them, you see that about half of the parables that Jesus tells uh, are, are about grace. And they're, they're sort of shocking, scandalous stories in which they don't seem fair. Like, you're like, you know, that isn't, that isn't the way it's supposed to work. Because God is making the point that he's just going to be gracious. He's going to give us things we do not deserve. But about half of the parables are about being a good steward of the gifts and abilities, the time and the talents that God gives us. And if we've been given talents, we need to use those talents, not bury them in the ground like the one talent person does, and and then it's judged. Not all of us will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We, We should have some fear that we may squander the opportunities that we're given to, to contribute to God's kingdom in his work. So, the first thing that should motivate us, uh, according to Scripture, is fear. Second thing that should motivate us, according to the Bible, is pleasure. Now, you might not have been expecting that one, uh, but in fact... There's a whole lot that suggests we should do the right thing because if we do, life tends to work and then there are upsides to that. So we're, you know, it's, it's been several thousand years since Plato and Zeno and other Greek philosophers were around, but we still can't quite seem to shake their influence. They are the ones, not God, not Jesus, who said the physical world is bad. The spiritual world is good, physical world is bad. That's, that's Greek philosophy. That's not, that's not New Testament. That's not God. God created a physical world. The physical world was good. It was all good. So the physical is not subclass to the spiritual, not according to the Bible. And so God made us to enjoy certain physical things. Now, I, I want to be clear. Uh, we're not to be... We're, it's legitimate pleasures that are a legitimate motivation. So we're not to drink to the, to the extent that we get drunk. We're not to overeat. We're, we're not to sleep around. I mean, we're, I'm not advocating hedonism here. That's not it at all. But enjoying food, enjoying rest, enjoying the company of good friends, right? These, these, are, these are moments of pleasure that, that we're told if we do the right thing, then the likelihood that we have those opportunities is there. And so 
pleasure is one of the, the motivators for us to do what God calls us to do. A third thing that we are to be motivated to do, uh, a third thing that should motivate us to do the right thing is rewards, both temporal rewards in this life and eternal rewards. Now, um, I was a little skittish uh, some time ago thinking that I, I don't really want to be motivated by rewards, right? I mean, that just feels a little bit mm, second class. Uh, but then you start to look at Scripture and you see that just in terms of the sheer quantity of passages on motivation, the suggestion that we ought to not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but we should store up treasures in heaven where, where they will be eternal, right? You find there's more motivating passages about rewards than there is about any other thing. And so um, we are to be motivated by the opportunity of upside. And I, I've just got a number of the verses here. Psalm 19.11. We're told that if we keep the law, okay, if we obey, if we keep the law, we will receive a great reward. Matthew 5.19. Jesus says, If any one of you sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven, suggesting that there are levels in the kingdom of heaven, that some people's rewards will be greater than others. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says, every one of you who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in eternal life. I can keep going. In Luke 6, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them. <laughs> why? Because your reward will be great. Do you love them because they're lovable? Probably not. Why should you love them? Why should you act like they're a friend? Why should you love them? Because your reward will be great. I, I mean, it just it goes on and on and on. There are all these passages that are telling us one of the things that should motivate us is the hope of future reward. Um, the fourth. The fourth is, is a little, um, I, I've combined a few here because they, they sort of overlap. So part of, part of me would, would be led to say the fourth that should motivate us is the gospel itself. Right? The idea that we are worse than we dare admit to ourselves, but that God's love and grace and kindness to us is greater than we dare believe. Right, the idea that, that we're going to live forever, the idea that we get eternity, the idea that, that, that God is, is going to care for us and take care of us, although we don't deserve it. We, we're winning the eternal lottery in Jesus Christ. That, that idea ought to motivate us. The fact that grace is being given to us ought to motivate us to live gracious lives and to try and love and serve others. The other way that, that this could be described, the other motivating title here would just be God himself. <laughs> right? That, that, that God is the motivation. It's his grace. It's also his beauty and his power and his majesty and his, his holiness. And the more we know him and the closer we grow to him, the more 
We want to know him more and the more we are called forward. It's not, it's not the things that God can do for us that are the rewards as much as it's just God that is the reward. So in, in Luke 6, there's a passage that says, Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. <laughs> right? What's the reward? God. God is the reward. Uh, I, I read part of a book this week, a uh, new book out by John Piper called God is the Gospel. And he said, uh, look, if your motivation for heaven is that you want to go there because it's going to be great and your dreams are going to be fulfilled and you're going to see old friends and the streets of gold and all of those things motivate you and you're sort of indifferent as to whether or not Christ would be there, <laughs> like you would go to heaven even if Christ wasn't there, he goes, then you don't get it, right? You're not doing this right. Because the reward is God himself. The reward is to be in the presence of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the love of Christ compels us. It is is Christ's love for us and it is a love for Christ that compels us to move forward. Now, two things here uh, as I wind down. The first one is uh, I want to say, this, this is not going to sound very profound, but uh, I, there's something here. We should do the right thing. Okay. Like I said, it doesn't sound very profound, but I'm, there's a little nuance here. We should do the right thing because it's the right thing. We should do the right thing because God commands us to do the right thing. The fact that God commands it should be enough. We should do the right thing. But I'm saying, I'm saying a little, something a little bit beyond that. We should do the right thing even if our motivation is wrong. So uh, mid-80s, I just was starting in uh, full-time you know, uh, work as a, as a college pastor. And we're launching a big uh, campus-wide outreach. Lots of work, lots of energy, bringing in a speaker, doing a big debate, doing all kinds of stuff. And so... Very excited about this, and, and sort of a couple weeks before it's due to happen, I realize that my motivation for driving this, for leading this, is not exactly pure. I do want to see students come to faith in Christ. I do want to see a clear articulation of the gospel on campus. I do want to see, I, I mean, I've got good motivation for this. But I realize I'm hoping that the college ministry will grow and that it will soon be the biggest college ministry on campus. And I go, yeah, no, that's shallow, right? That's, that's selfish. That's really, that's what's motivating you. And I go, oh. so, so I sort of treated it like sin. And I confessed it, like, God, my motivation is not good here. I just, I get that. I start praying for the other college ministries to grow. I, I'm, I'm doing what I can but as, as time goes on, I go, yeah, my motivation is really pretty bad. Uh, I mean, I can't get rid of this. As much as I want to get rid of this, I can't get rid of this. And so uh, we started to talk about maybe we need to cancel the outreach. So then I get in a number of discussions with people, and three things sort of compelled me to, to move in a different path. The first one was other people saying, um, Woodruff, you're just waking up to how dark your heart is. But uh, trust me, uh, you're not the first. 
So we're all very conflicted. And, and I had a friend who said, yeah, you know, the, you're headed down the right path, right? To be, to be frustrated by this, you're headed down the right path. And I read a quote by C.S. Lewis that really helped. It said, um, he says, when I finally got around to looking at my heart, I discovered that it was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambition, a nursery of fears, and a harem of fondled hatreds. I thought, okay, well, I'm not that bad. Uh, so, so it was just an awareness uh, that we're broken. And our motivation, our best intentions are going to be complicated and compromised. Right? Our best our righteousness is like filthy rags, to quote Isaiah, right? We're trying as hard as we can, and yeah, no, that's not it. As a matter of fact, the second thing that, that, that motivated me, and this sort of shows how tightly wound up in a knot I had become, was I then realized that my desire to have pure motives was impure, right? I wanted to impress God with how pure my heart was. And I realized that's very religious and that's really very selfish. I'm saying, look at me, look at me. And so I realized, okay, so now uh, I have bad reasons for wanting to be good. So I go, now I, now I don't know what to do other than to say, I'm not going to be that person, right? I'm, I am moving on. It's like, yeah, looked at that and said, yeah, that's a black hole. I will be paralyzed for the rest of my life and never do anything. And uh, the third thing that, that motivated me was, um, was Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul's comments, um, picking up in verse 17. So Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. And, and just to set the context, there are people who are out there while Paul is in prison seeking to do more work than Paul so they would be better than Paul, right? They want the biggest campus ministry. That's, that's, a, that's how this is reading. And so Paul says, some are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, Right? There are people out there preaching the gospel with bad motives. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're just trying to make me feel bad. Oh my goodness, they're out there, they're doing all this stuff, they're going to get credit for this, and I'm trapped in prison, I can't do any of this stuff. And uh, Paul's response, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So he says, I don't care if their motivations are wrong. If they're going to preach the gospel, then I'm good with that. Which, which is important to, to just pause here and recognize. Paul is furious with the Galatians, right, who have good intentions. The Galatians cared for Paul. He gets very sick when he's there. They nurse him back to health. They are, they are now trying to be more religious than he told them they had to be. Right? And he is furious because the gospel is wrong. They got the message wrong. They got the right motivation, wrong message. And he is fit to be tied. Oh, you idiots in Galatia. Right? He is so mad. The, the Philippians have got the gospel right, but the wrong motivation. And he says, I don't care. Right? I, I, I don't care. Good. Keep preaching the gospel. You're, you got wrong motivations, but you're getting the gospel out there. So, so we, we have to do the right thing, even if our heart is wrong. Now, I'll say that I, I uh, treated my, my heart as if it was a problem. And I confessed it, and, and, and over time, 
I found that what was a competitive nature when it came to ministries, what was envy at other people, it went away. And I'm so glad because envy is like the worst feeling. I mean, if you're going to sin, don't choose envy. It's got no upside to it. And so, and so I, I now, re- I, I can say with great sincerity, I rejoice when I see uh, other campus ministries and churches growing. We want to do everything we can to help other campuses and churches grow because uh, it is what God has called us to. So, um, so the first thing that I want to say as I close is that we got to do the right thing even if our motivation is wrong. The second thing, the final thing that I'll say is I think that over time, these motivators, the four motivations that I've mentioned— um, uh, fear, pleasure, rewards, and, and more of God. I think they sort of sort themselves out and the, the more of God goes higher. So, so when I came to faith, part of coming to faith was a desire not to be punished. Right? It was a desire to be forgiven. It was a desire selfishly to go to heaven. I mean, that, that was a big motivating factor. And uh, now it's, I mean, it's there, uh, certainly. But, but the motivation, I think, over time becomes, I want more of God, right? And I, I, I really don't care so much about, I trust you, God, whatever you want to do, right? Your ways are better than my ways. And so I think we, we get into your kingdom come, your will be done. Hollow your name. Glorify yourself. I want to be part of that. And so I think that the, the more of God becomes a bigger motivator. So I will leave you with this. Something gets you out of bed in the morning. Right? Something compels you to do certain things and to not do other things. It's worth figuring that out and looking at our motivation because it's important. And God has given us a lot of motivation to do the right thing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask for hearts that grow increasingly pure. We confess that our best intentions are riddled with selfishness and pride and all kinds of darkness. And uh, we, we simply confess it and say, please, um, purify us and use even us, even me, broken and conflicted though I am, to do things that please you. Help us... Uh, Help us to see the need to live today in light of eternity and uh, to raise our, our eyes and look beyond temporal winds to things that will last. And uh, may your kingdom go and grow. Uh, may your name be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.